Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Once again, welcome. It's so great to have so many people here doing these things that we do together to connect ourselves with God and with each other and with our own hearts and souls in ways that we expect God will use to transform us. Uh, This is the last of seven weeks where we've been walking through how to use the spiritual disciplines, which is what I just described, to actually find real day-to-day victory over the seven deadly sins in our lives. And as we remind you, every single one of these seven weeks, uh, only Jesus really has the power to break sin. His sacrifice, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that is why we even can have this conversation. It's only because of Jesus that we have even a hope of approaching God, of finding forgiveness for the sins we've committed, let alone the power to actually break through it. But God's plan throughout time has always been to work with people, even before the fall. He created people and then put us in charge of taking care of this planet. He wanted us to be fruitful, to multiply, to create new relationships and new people and new things and come up with stuff that he hadn't come up with yet in this perfect creation. Of course, we messed that up. But that, that idea of us doing stuff, of God giving us meaningful work to do, has been there all along. And the spiritual disciplines are just one of many ways that, that we see God's heart in that. There are a lot of them. Um, I've said this several weeks, so I'm trying to do this really quickly, but some of you haven't been here. I want to make sure you understand. Some of the spiritual disciplines are all throughout the scriptures. We see them over and over, people practicing them from the very beginning of time. Prayer is one of those. Meditation, fasting, tithing. There are several others that you see people practicing all the way back in the book of Genesis and ever since. There are some of them that Jesus Christ himself created. One of them is the Lord's Supper, and then another is baptism. Those are ones that Jesus Christ commanded, and that's why we honor them so much at this church. But also, there are, all, there, there are several that people have just come up with over time, and they said, hey, you know what? This helps me connect with God. This helps me connect with other people. This helps me really connect with my own heart, my own soul in a way that transforms me. One of those that I find very meaningful is Advent. And that's why we've been doing this. A lot of people do, not just me. But this is the third week of Advent. And uh, we're walking you through this. It's a part of this message as well. But the first week we lit this candle represents hope. Represents how God actually keeps his promises. He doesn't just give us some sort of a meaningless sense of optimism. He gives us a real hope. He says, if I said this is going to happen, it's going to happen. And Advent was actually first created, some people don't know this, but when it first started out becoming a thing, it was more about the, res- or the Christ's return than it was about Christmas. But it found hope in Christ's return because the Messiah finally came at Christmas. And that's still what it does. The second week, we lit both candles. The second one represents preparation and all the things God did to prepare for the Messiah to come. John the Baptist, uh, that was a passage we all read aloud together. But again, you see the spiritual disciplines is just one more illustration of how this worked. God alone, his power is what really transforms us, but there are things that he expects us to do to make that possible. He partners with us. And today is the third week of Advent. And this candle has been lit and it represents Lytton. Wow, 
This candle has been lit. It represents joy and peace. And if you would, I'd like you one more time to stand and read a section of scripture with me. There are other churches around the world today that will be reading this and several other scriptures. Let's read this aloud with joy. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Amen. Please have a seat, but please don't get too comfortable and stop listening to me. This is important, what we're going over here today. A couple things before we move on with the rest of this. I want to make sure you notice in here. Uh, this harmonizes so perfectly with another uh, prophecy from Isaiah that we read aloud a little while ago. It said one of the things that Jesus would always be known as is the Prince of Peace. And in that same passage, it said the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make that happen. Once again, you have the strings juxtaposition that God loves to do all the time. Why does God, the all-powerful God, want to partner with people? But he always does. And you also see that the kind of peace, the kind of complete unity and passionate passion and unity that's created based on a shared desire, a shared mission. That's what he really wants to create. And that always has, that takes effort. The Bible always uses the, uh, the imagery of war for this. So as we start to revisit the story of, of, of Christmas and as we start to wrap up this idea of our war against sin that happens in each one of our own hearts and each one of our own homes, I want you to remember together that the war, the war for sin just kind of began again at the manger. Got a cool graphic here. I, I, I'm not sure who painted this picture. It's even better in full color. But the, the, the war for over sin started at the manger. This was like an arrival. It was kind of like D-Day. It was the beginning of the end. But it was only the beginning. And even in Jesus' own lifetime, it was the cross and the empty tomb that really made the biggest biggest difference. It's the cross and the empty tomb. And for us now, it's his coming resurrection and us able to live in all that he created during his lifetime and since. It's us able to live that that gives our life meaning. But in every single one of these, here's something we cannot miss. There's stuff he wants us to do. This was not just this holy holiday of Christmas where we remember a baby in a manger. This was not just a cute little scene. This was an invasion. This was him getting, him doing things and setting things in motion. And he still expects us to do things now. So as we wrap up the seven deadly sins, we're wrapping up today with sloth. And sloth sometimes is just seen as just laziness. 
And, and so it's really easy to just write it off. Oh, it's just, you know, laziness. Like, how bad can laziness be? But here's what it really is. Just like pride is saying, I know God said this, but I think this, and I'm going to go with what I think. Sloth is saying, I know God told me to do this. I know God said this is what life is about. I know God actually commanded me to do this. This is, how, this is what God said. This is what I expect a life to look like. I may get around to that someday, but not today. I'm going to make my own schedule in this. I'm going to choose whether I do it, and I'm going to choose when I do it. I'm not going to totally have a rebellion against him, but, but I'm in control. That's really the essence of sloth. It's not just being lazy. Lazy is a symptom. Does that make sense? You guys see how that works? If you get that, the rest of this is going to make a whole lot of sense. Last uh, week, we also looked at the story of David, who sometimes is a wonderful example, but this is a picture of the prophet Nathan confronting him, and he realized that he had been completely lost in all seven of these manifestations of our sinful nature. Obviously, lust was the big thing. He had lusted after a woman he saw bathing. He had chosen to bring her to himself to have sexual relations with her. And then he ends up killing her husband to cover it all up. There was pride involved, as just like I described. Obviously, envy. Envy, again, is where we say, hey, why does he have that? Why does she have that instead of me? If God were really fair, if God were really just, I'd have that, not them. And I'm going to make that happen. It's a lot dimmer than just kind of being jealous. Gluttony and greed, same thing. He had be, he had, all of these had consumed him, and wrath consumed him so much that when he couldn't cover up the sin well enough, he had her husband killed. But I don't think we should miss that the whole thing started with sloth. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing at that moment. Let me read you the first couple verses of 2 Samuel 11. David... It says, in the spring of the year, sorry, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unnatural beauty taking a bath. And you know the rest of the story. It all started with sloth. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. It's the season when kings are supposed to go to war. He'd been anointed as a king. He'd fought. He'd been patient. A lot of things we look up to David about, he had done over and over knowing that one day he'd be king. Now he's the king, but he's not kinging. Are you with me? He's not being a king. He's just laying around, taking naps, watching other people's wives take baths on top of houses. It's creepy weirdness. Here's what Paul says, Galatians 6. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. 
Brothers and sisters, we've got to break free of sloth. If there's anything at all in your life that you know God is asking you to do, this is something that he is calling you. It's a command that you're ignoring. It's a specific instruction that somehow, it, maybe it's very specific to you. Maybe it's, it's for all people everywhere. Whatever, somewhere in between, whatever it is. If there's something you know God is telling you to do and you're not doing it, that is not a place you need to stay very long. G.K. Chesterton says, I do not believe in a fate that falls on men however they act. But I do believe in a fate that falls on them unless they act. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, goodness, I can't talk today. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said, let us then be up and doing with a heart for any fate. Still achieving, still pursuing, learn to labor and to wait. A few weeks ago, I told you that the Greek word that we translate as sin is hamartia, which actually is an archery term. It means missing the mark. I don't believe that it's an accident that the word we translate sloth is also an archery term. It means unstrung. It's the only absolute guarantee that you cannot hit the mark is if you don't even string the bow up in the first place. You don't even try. You're not even competing. That's the only guarantee that you will absolutely fail, with or without the power of God. The power of God is still there. That's always going to be there. All his promises are available to you, absolutely. Some are unconditional, but all the conditional ones are conditional. They depend on what you do. That's how he set it up. And if your bow is unstrung, you are always going to miss the mark. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, Even while we were still with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. This is very practical and just, hey, you know, we're expected to do stuff every day, too, to make a living and stuff. This, this was a very clear um, perspective that the early church had, and it was built on a very big foundation of the Old Testament. Here's just a few examples from the book of Proverbs of just how this was built into God's rhythm. Proverbs 16:26 says it is good for workers to have an appetite, an empty stomach drives them on. Proverbs 21:25 despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin for their hands refuse to work. Proverbs 14:23 work brings profit, but mere talk leads to profit, poverty. One of the most famous ones is Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 15. Here's just a few of the verses because we need to keep going here. But as always, I encourage you to use the outlines that we give you. They're in your hands right now. And also the ones we post online that go with the recorded versions of these messages. And read the entire passages on your own in a version of your choice later. And let God speak to you again through all of this. Here's a few excerpts from this passage. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. This, this proverb predated Aesop's fables. Aesop probably based... His fable, if not on this exact proverb, on that same kind of thing being traded around, you know, kind of how we trade around proverbs like that, stitch in time saves nine, and penny saved as a penny earned and stuff. He kind of had that. But his, remember his famous story about the grasshopper and the ants? It's one of the more morbid of little kid stories. Uh, 
The grasshopper's out there, he's playing his fiddle, and he's doing his thing all, all summer long. The ants are trying to get him to help. He won't help. And then it gets winter, and he's starving and freezing. He says, hey, will you bring, bring me in? I need shelter, I need food. And they say, no. The end. Moral of the story is you should work when it's time to work and play when it's time to play. A bug's life takes it even further. Uh, how many like that movie? I, I really like A Bug's Life. That was a good one. I like that one. But here the ants are working for the grasshoppers. The grasshoppers have become these tyrants. And the reason the ants are working is because the grasshoppers make them work and then kind of demand a tribute. They take it to a whole other level. This is a warning, I believe, to leaders. Any, anybody out there, I don't care if you're a parent, a teacher, uh, elder, deacon, whatever you are that might be leading somehow. That's almost all of us. Here's a warning. Sloth turns leaders into evil dictators. We're supposed to lead by example. Good leaders, and this is something I struggle with all the time if you know me well. Good leaders sometimes are tempted to just do it all themselves and say they're leading people somewhere. But that's not actually leading. You're supposed to motivate other people and teach other people and train other people and get other people to do stuff. That's leadership. Everybody with me? Okay, good. However, really great leaders lead by example, they don't just make other people do stuff. And sloth is what turns leaders into dictators. So be careful. But again, this comes all the way since creation. That work, the idea of work, the idea of getting out there and doing something is before the fall. It's before sin. It's not part of the curse. It got messed up just like everything else got messed up. The curse messed everything up. It twisted up us. It twisted up the world. It messed everything up. God specifically said that work would get harder and more frustrating and slower. But the idea of work was part of his original design. And if you think about it, almost all the things that we do to find joy and peace in our lives, even if we're not trying to do it for God, it's stuff we do, right? You go out to eat. You watch a movie. Those are pretty passive. But how many of you guys, you draw or paint or you write or you work on cars or you refurbish things or you redo your house or you redo your bathroom or you replace, you, you follow me on this? You do stuff and you find joy in that. Okay? And, that, and that's because that's embedded in us. They're, they're innately, somewhere down deep, that's a good thing. And so is the idea of restoring things. Here's another passage people are reading all around the world today when they're remembering the third week of Advent. It's Isaiah 35, uh, selected verses from passage 1 to 10. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom. With this news... Strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. And a great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the Highway of Holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will only be for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. And we know from the New Testament, we know from the fulfillment of all those prophecies that was Jesus Christ himself and the words of Jesus himself in John 14, 6, that he is that highway to holiness. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But notice that this is a highway that you're supposed to walk. This is not just something you believe. It's not just something you think about or acknowledge. It's a place that you go. Does that make sense? Do you see how that works? This is an active thing. 
So how do we live this out? Just like every single one of those, part of the reason God hates sin is because it clouds our judgment. It, it, it defeats us. It keeps us from doing the stuff that he wants done. And there are two very specific things that I believe he wants done that sloth keeps us from doing. One is to focus on wisdom. And again, wisdom is not just knowing the right thing, it's doing the right thing. It's not just knowing what the right road is, it's actually taking the right road. Colossians 3.23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. I'm going to read that one one more time. Listen carefully, this is huge. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Can you imagine how different the world would be if every single person who had some sort of a business knew that if they had Christians working for them, that would be the absolute best workers they'd ever imagine in their life? We talked about some of these ideas the other day at uh, the, the Truth Project. It's just fortuitous that it all lines up that way. I didn't even plan it. I wish I could take credit for that. I didn't. But it's the same ideas. The, the idea that we are called to work, to do stuff, and listen, no matter what, we are always representing Jesus. We are the walking, talking tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. And we're either doing a good job or we're doing a bad job, but we're always doing that job. And this verse says, remember that. Remember that when you're at home, remember that at work, remember that when you're driving, remember that all the time. You are representing Jesus. What are you going to do about that? Robert Louis Stevenson says, Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. Super wise. This one's anonymous, but I really like it. Very practical. It says, Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. That's wisdom. And it's not just knowing it. You have to actually do those things to reap those things. The second thing we need to focus on is diligence. Diligence is simply doing the right thing over and over and over again. It's, it's consistently and relentlessly over time doing the stuff that needs done. And here's an example for this one. Uh, is Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I know that's a stretch, but bear with me on this one. I'm not holding him up as a paragon of morality or any other thing about example except for this. You know anything about his story? He's one of the most driven and relentless people in entertainment today. He wanted to be rich. He wanted to be famous. And by golly, he got the job done. You can see he's a better person in even the way he dresses <laughs> than he was 20-some years ago. Okay? He, his, his body is stronger and leaner and better. He's gotten better at acting and all this. He's known for being a hard worker. Daily workouts, no matter what, at 5 o'clock in the morning, just constantly doing stuff. Go, 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 go. That's why he's one of the most highest paid entertainers in the world right now. Here's another picture of him. This is his... his fitness, which I kind of envy. He's got it back in the day um, when he was young. But look how much better he looks now. 20 years of relentless stuff pays off. 
And again, I'm not saying that you should be like him. I don't think God wants us all to be rich or famous or to do the things that he does every day. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's what diligence looks like. That what, that's what it looks like when even somebody who's aging is getting better and better and better. It's because of diligence. Does that make sense? I hope I've asked that three times today. I really want to make sure these connect because these are important things. This is a poem I just found this week. I've never heard this before. I love it. It's by Edgar A. Guest. It was published in 1926. I love this one. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show the way. The eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see the good in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act. And how you live. A couple weeks ago we looked at the story of Scrooge. How many are watching, starting to watch through some old Christmas movies again? A little bit, maybe in the next couple weeks. Um, one of my favorites is The Muppet Christmas Carol. Won't spend a lot of time on it. But just imagine this. Imagine if this story would have gone this way. He, he goes through, he has all these visions. He realizes how badly he's messed up his life to that point. He realizes he's been given another chance. And so he wakes up that Christmas morning and he goes... Dodge that bullet and goes right back to work. That would not be a fun story, would it? The reason that's a great story is because he changed. He became a totally different person. He goes, it's Christmas Day. I haven't missed it. I will honor Christmas in my heart. I will try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past and the present and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. And just like a couple weeks ago, I want to remind you, this is what we do as well. We look back at the past of what Jesus has done. We look forward that he's coming back and that he's given us the space until then to get some stuff done for him. And that is what gives right now life. That is what gives right now meaning. That's what makes it all worth it right now. That's what should define every minute of every day for us as Christians. This is who we are. This is what we do. We live in the past and the present and the future in honor of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. I love where it talks about that our attitude should be like Jesus. But if you listen carefully, it's not really talking about your attitude. It's talking about the way you look at life. This is the last couple of verses. I'm going to leave that up there. But here's why it says. You probably might be able to quote it with me. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in his very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took on the form of a servant and became obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here's the last couple verses of that same passage. So, your attitude being the same as Christ Jesus, here's what that looks like. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you. 
giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This is the power and the purpose of the spiritual disciplines. If you'll indulge me, this is the real meaning of Christmas. How many have heard somebody say, this is the meaning of Christmas in a movie? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, now I know what Christmas means. I believe this is what Christmas means. It means that D-Day happened. It means that the Messiah showed up and he put into motion all the stuff that makes life worth living right now. But to do that, we've got to break free from the sins that can still hold us down if we let them. And we've got to fully invest in the things he wants. As we wrap up this morning, I'm begging you one last time to take action on whatever God is convicting you to do this morning. Maybe you're caught up in pride. Maybe there's even just one part of your life. Or maybe your whole life is defined by this attitude of saying, I know God says this, but whenever my ideas or somebody else that I really love and respect's ideas clash with what God says, I'm going to go with that. But then I'm going to... That's pride. Even if there's just one part of your life, you need, to, you need to surrender that this morning. You need to fix that. And you can't because of Jesus. Maybe it's just a general sense of selfishness. Maybe envy or gluttony or greed or lust. Whatever it is, that has just got you trapped. And you're just not finding joy in life because those things that you're trying to get joy from are not designed to give you joy if it's based in selfishness. Maybe you need to remember Jesus' words that whoever seeks to save their own life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for his sake will find it. You'll find so much more joy in even some of those same things when you're looking at it from a completely different perspective. Maybe you're torn up by wrath. Maybe anger. Maybe there's things that you just cannot forgive. Things that you just cannot let go. Maybe it's against yourself. Maybe it's against someone else. Somehow or another, you need to let that go. You need to let the passion of the Lord of Heaven's armies well up in you and actually take some action that will fix the problems instead of just letting it boil inside of you and destroy you from the inside out. Whatever it is, if you know God is telling you to do something and you're not doing it yet, that's the sin of sloth. And I beg you, please don't do that this morning. I don't know what decisions you guys need to make, but I know that you need to follow Jesus. Jesus' arrival made it possible to please God. But just like the shepherds who got that amazing announcement from the angels, they had to come and see. Remember? That's how God always works. He does something amazing and then he asks us to respond. And we only get to see the fruit of what he did if we actually respond. I'm asking you to respond today. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection set us free. But you have to learn how to live free. You have to learn how to live fully as you go. The chains fall off. They let you out of the prison. You're out on your own again. Whoo, I'm free. That's just the beginning. What are you going to do with that? You do that every single day. You learn how by doing things. So one more time, please do what God is asking you to do this morning. Please commit to keep doing it. Be diligent. Be relentless. Be consistent. But make that choice this morning. And if that choice happens to be that you've never given your life to Jesus completely in the first place, please make that this morning. Don't put it off any longer. If there's something else, maybe, I don't know what it might be. Maybe, maybe he wants you to join this community in some sort of a formal way. Maybe he just wants you to pray. We always have some people that are available to pray with you. 
And it can be about anything, by the way. When you see those people standing there ready to pray, they're just ready to pray with you, period. It, doesn't matter. it, may, it may have nothing to do with the invitation. It may be, have everything to do with the invitation. But this morning I'm asking you as, you, as we stand and as we sing, make the choice. And let it be something that's going to be the start of something that's relentless, that's consistent the rest of your life. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.